Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Happy Easter. Uh, The very first this morning, I'm not used to this schedule. At 8.15, I told somebody, Happy Christmas. So she said, it's Easter. I hope you have the right sermon. I said, I do. So happy Easter. I came across this years ago. It's one of my favorites. The man with the bricks. I'm writing a response to your request for additional information in the accident reporting form. I put, quote, poor planning as the cause of my accident. You requested details. Well, here's the details. I was laying brick on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over. Instead of carrying the bricks down by hand, I decided to load them into a barrel and use a pulley with a rope to lower the barrel off the building. I tied the rope to the bottom and carefully pushed the barrel off the top of the building. Then I went to the bottom and untied the rope. It was at that moment that I suddenly realized that The 240-pound barrel of bricks weighed more than my 135-pound frame. I suddenly skyrocketed upward as the bricks came barreling downward. At that point, I must have gone temporarily insane because I forgot to turn loose of the rope. Somewhere around the third floor, I met the barrel that was coming down with impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. That was precisely the moment that the barrel struck the ground. The bottom broke out and the bricks poured out. I now weighed considerably more than an empty barrel. (laughs) I started down, the barrel started up. Again, at about the third floor, I met the barrel. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seems to have slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks and fortunately only fractured three vertebrae. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again went temporarily insane and let go of the rope. (laughs) He said, so it all stems from poor planning. I read that and laughed out loud. You know, I don't think it's a true story, but... Uh, I've had days like that, haven't you? And some of us have had years like that. In fact, it feels like we've just finished a year like that. That nothing seemed to go right. Everything seemed to go sideways. I mean, a year ago right now, all we had was online service. We weren't even in the room. And I'm so glad that we're back together, aren't you? I need y'all. I need hugs and greetings and face-to-face meetings and all the things that make life matter. We need each other. Families got to be together from time to time. And so it's good to be back together. And hopefully this COVID thing's going to start to fade out. And I'm hoping it's, we're reaching the, at least the beginning of the end. Um, But you know what? That's not going to mean that our struggles are going to go away. I mean, COVID could go away, but our struggles are still going to be there. In the words of the uh, of the old uh, theologian Roseanne, Rosanna Dan, it's always something. And it doesn't matter whether you have COVID or not, it's always something. Because in this life, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have heartaches. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to have struggles. 
And the question becomes, can we live with meaning and purpose in a world that seems bent on chaos and disappointment and destruction? And here's the unvarnished message of Easter. Yes, you can. Because the message of Easter is simply this. Jesus is our victory. If I had to wrap the whole thing up in a single word, it would be victory. Let's take our Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8. As we were studying the book of Romans, we came across this familiar verse. Paul is talking about life. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not pretending that it's going to be some cakewalk through some contrived prosperity. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not blessings all the time in Jesus. He's saying, here's some tough stuff that I know firsthand that I've had to go through. But no matter what happens, Jesus has already given me the victory. Starts in verse 35 of Romans 8. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? That's a good question. Because a lot of times when I'm disappointed, especially when my disappointment turns into disappointment with God, it's easy for me to believe that God has stopped loving me. And that these events that are occurring in my life are the consequence of God rejecting me or failing to love me. He said, what will separate us from the love of God? We're not going to allow that kind of thinking to last for even a second within our mind. And not only that, but we're not going to allow these things to cause us to stop loving God. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. He says, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And all those things Paul had been through, just as is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now look at this. This is the key. Verse 37. But in all these things, and look at that beautiful word, we overwhelmingly conquer. You see that? Through Him who loved us. We overwhelmingly conquered. You know what the Greek word for victory is? You know what it is because it's written on your shoe, right? We talked about this. Nike. But Paul doesn't use the word Nike here. He uses the word huper Nike. Hyper Nike. It's not just, we're not just barely claiming the victory by the skin of our teeth. This isn't somebody hitting a three-pointer at the buzzer. He says, we overwhelmingly conquer. We kill this thing because of the love of Christ in us. And so it comes down to this. God has, through the power and the love of Jesus, already given us the victory. And we have to decide, am I going to live my life as a victor or as a victim? And I've got to tell you, we live in a world where a lot of people have chosen to be victims. And and it's nothing they ever do is their fault. It's always someone else or some system or, or some oppressive thing. And everything is conspiring against me to cause me to have to be victimized. Look, into every heart, a storm is going to blow. And in that moment, you get to choose, am I going to be a victim of this thing or am I going to live victorious? Paul said, I've already decided I'm going to be victorious. And Easter made that possible. So let's walk through it, okay? And let's see it. Victory begins at the cross. You know, for Jesus, the cross was the finish line, right? Uh, The mission of his life culminated in the cross. He was born to die. One One of the... metaphors of Jesus was the Lamb of God. And it was interesting that the Lamb of God was born in a stable. Well, that's where lambs are born, right? 
When, when he went to be baptized by John the Baptist, uh, John 1, 29, the next day he saw that he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was born to be the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb. And, and he himself said that that was my mission. Look at uh, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The cross was Jesus' mission. It was all a part of the divine plan. And it was a plan that was in place before the foundation of the world. Before God even created man, he knew that man would sin. And he knew that in our sin, we would be hopeless. And so before creation even occurred, God had already set into play the plan that he himself would take the full punishment for sin upon himself. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's no way around that. Everyone who sins is under a death sentence. We've been studying world religions on Wednesday night here at the church, and the one common trait among all the great religions of the world is it's man's effort to somehow achieve God's approval through their performance. And the idea is that it's like a giant balance sheet, and if I can do enough good or enough acts of attrition or make enough sacrifice, that it's somehow going to offset the bad that I've done. But the Bible says nothing you ever do will make up for any sin you've ever done. The wages of sin is death. It's like a death sentence over you. It doesn't matter how good you live after that, you are still under that death sentence. So the only one that could do that was the one who was without sin. And that's why the Bible says, for the one who was without sin became sin on our behalf. That's Jesus on the cross. And this was the plan before the foundation of the world. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 53 uh, deals with it. It says in verse 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. We ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now look at this and think of the crucifixion as you read this, verse 5. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being, for our well-being, fell upon Him. And by His scourging, and Jesus was scourged, we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Those words were written 700 B.C. Predictive. The crucifixion wasn't just one of those parties that got out of hand. The crucifixion wasn't just a mob at the Capitol where everybody kind of lost their minds for a little while. This is not downtown Portland. The crucifixion was the plan of God before the foundation of the world because God knew that we would need a Savior. That's why Jesus was on the cross. And that's why on the cross, He said, mission accomplished. What was one of the last things Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. So at the cross, we see Jesus' finish line, but the cross is our starting line. Victory over sin starts at the cross. Your victory starts at the cross because Jesus paid the full price for sin. But that doesn't mean that everybody receives that. You have to make a choice. And in that moment of choice, you choose, God, I choose to appropriate what Christ did on the cross to my life. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But in that moment when I say by faith, I trust Christ, I receive it to myself. And here's the key difference between uh, Christianity, which is a relationship, and religion of every other religion in the world. Christianity is not achieved, it's received. It's not that I earn God's approval through my performance. I can't do that. It's that I receive the favor of God because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. 
The one who was without sin became sin, and He was the perfect sacrifice. And so it has to be received. And this is the hard part. Because to do that, you have to admit that you have a problem. And it's hard to admit that we're powerless over something, isn't it? I think that's why we're so drawn to performance. Because we think, well, I, I don't want to admit that I can't do anything about this myself, that I can do. And, and it's within us to try to hide our sin from God. You know, isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden the minute they sinned? They went and hid. And what did God say? Adam, where are you? Adam, it's not as if God didn't know where Adam was. He was just trying to get Adam to see where he was. Adam, where are you? I think that was more of a question of, Adam, where are you? Because he was hiding, which is what we always do. We think that if we can somehow hide from God, he won't see our sin. Uh, Mary Peoples tells the story of her Doberman, Duffy, who loved bananas. What a weird dog. You don't picture a Doberman. There's something mentally off on a Doberman that likes bananas. They lived in the Philippines where bananas were plentiful, and the workers would chop the green bananas, and then they would bring them into their kitchen and let them ripen until they turned yellow. And Duffy had learned the secret of opening the front door herself, and so she could scratch and claw, get the door open, then she'd walk through. She, uh, uh, Mary People said, one time we were all sitting in the living room, and we looked up, and we heard the scratching at the door, and we saw Duffy, and Duffy was walking in, and by her behavior, you knew she was up to something. Have y'all got a dog like that? I've got a dog like that. You can tell when she's up to something. When Emmy goes and eats the kitty litter, you don't even have to ask her. She walks in the room, you know, it's like it's all over. I'm a horrible dog. I've eaten the kitty litter again. And you just say, Emmy, have you eaten kitty litter? <gasps> you know. <laughs> so Duffy's walking through the living room acting guilty. And so they said, let's just watch and see what she does. She goes into the kitchen. She gets a banana. And as she's walking back through the living room, she, she realizes she's being watched. So she turns her head as she walks through the living room like this. Because she thought, if they don't see me, if I don't see them, they can't see me. Right? And married people said, we roared with laughter as we realized what she was doing. Duffy was smart enough to open the door and go for a banana and dumb enough to believe that if she did not look at us, we would not see her and her banana. And I realized that people with sin are like Duffy and that banana. If we don't look at God, he won't see it. I'm not going to church. God might see me. You know, I don't want to be around that. I got, God may not see. Here's the thing. The more we hang on to sin and try to cover it up, the sicker it makes us. Alcoholics Anonymous has a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. David said it like this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand and discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my, all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You know, sin is heavy. Guilt is heavy. Shame is heavy. And they make us sick. I came across this. I, this, is, this is how my sense of humor runs. Somebody said, what's heavier, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers? I'm like, you're not getting me. I know this one. A ton's a ton. I don't care if it's feathers or bricks or what it is. So they both weigh the same. The guy said, wrong. 
the feathers weigh more because now you have to live with what you did to all those poor birds. <laughs> you don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I can tell you all that and just laugh at myself. It's a funny take on guilt, but when we ignore it and cover it up, we get sicker. But that, that's the problem. The modern message is that there is no God, and because there is no God, there is no sin, and because there is no sin, there is no guilt. So the guilt that you're experiencing is guilt that's being produced by someone else, and so you need to deny that, that guilt that other people are fostering on you or foistering on you. Now, now, let me say this. There is false guilt, and there's false shame, and there are a lot of people who manipulate other people using guilt, and if that's the case, you need to reject that. But there's a legitimacy to conviction that occurs when we sin, and the weight of that sin kicks off something within us, and to switch off that switch does not make it go away. If the world is right, there is no God, there is no sin, and so guilt is something we just need to say, I need to accept myself more, I need to love myself more, all of those things. If that's true, then why are we so sick? Jesus won the victory over sin at the cross. You don't have to live under sin and shame and guilt. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you did it. It doesn't matter the depth of it. God's going to forgive it, and you can be victorious over sin. You just have to admit it and receive it, and the healing comes from the cross. And in the moment that happens, the Bible says you are transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, and who you used to be is replaced by who you are. And that occurs instantaneously at that moment of salvation. But listen to me, that's not the end of the story. The cross is the starting place, but it's not the finish line. Because the victory continues through the Spirit. At the cross, Jesus gave us victory over sin, but through the Spirit, Jesus gives us victory over ourselves. And when you place your faith in Christ, God changes your life forever. He does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And He says several things about the Spirit. He says, first of all, the Spirit seals us. It seals the work of salvation. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. The seal is what makes it permanent. I, I didn't earn God's approval through my performance he has sealed me through the mercy and grace that was made available on the cross. And in the spirit, that seal means that I'm not going to lose my relationship with God due to my performance, that I'm adopted into his family. And there's a permanence to that. Um, and then the spirit empowers us. It seals us. It empowers us. I think of that verse in in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what I need the most because oftentimes I'm powerless. I need, I need something greater than myself to accomplish victory over myself. I have a friend that said, I can resist anything except temptation. <laughs> Isn't that true? It happened to me yesterday. I've always battled my weight. Me and Wade have been like in a, in a constant warfare. You would think one would win, but we've been battling my whole life. And so I'm in the battle again, and I'm like trying to be disciplined. And um, so we're going to have Easter at our house yesterday. The kids are going to come over. We're going to do it early. It's going to be awesome. And we're not going to make a big fuss with all the cooking and stuff. We're just going to pick up canes and bring in canes. And so when I hear this, I'm like, oh, I got to be disciplined. So I told Amy, I said, I'm eating one strip. One strip. I'm going to wrap it in a low-fat tortilla. 
I'm going to have one strip, some salad. When the canes got there, I know for sure I put three strips on my plate, but every time you kind of walk by, maybe another strip jumps out at you. And, and I had the french fries, and there's just a big pan of french fries. I don't even know how many french fries I ate because just, you just walked by. And then I had six cookies that didn't even come from canes, just cookies. <laughs> but I did not eat the bread. Small victory somewhere. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh is powerful. That's why I need something more powerful than myself. But the third thing is the spirit changes us. 2 Corinthians 3.17, For the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's the part. Listen to verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit, here's the part, you can underline this part, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Salvation is the starting place, but it's not the finishing place. At the cross, my salvation occurs through receiving the grace of Jesus Christ onto myself, and I'm justified. God has declared the unjust to be just. I get that. But now I'm in process where the Spirit The power of the Spirit wants to take control of my life, and He wants to conform me more and more into the image of Jesus so that I look more and more like Jesus. And that's a process that's going to occur throughout the rest of my life. So here's the key. Easter isn't just about winning victory over sin. It's also about a transformed life. He was our victory. He is our victory. This whole thing's not just fire insurance to make sure you get to heaven. If that's all you find in Christianity, you've missed the whole thing. The work of the power of the Spirit dwelling in us. You want to see what victory looks like? That's what it looks like. You're like, yeah, right. That's the word victory. Okay, it looks like that. But watch this. These are the stories of victory written on these words. You know what's kind of interesting, and I thought it was kind of a cool thing? It's an optical illusion, but while I'm standing up here, those words seem small. But watch what happens when I walk toward them. They get bigger. Isn't that cool? And when you, when you look at this and what people have written on them, healed and brought peace to my family, healthy baby, our neighbor's family, victory over drugs, insecurities, God saw me through infertility by blessing me with an adopted child. Hmm. God has victory over my anxiety. Our neighbor's family, I don't know what that means. Beat anxiety. Anxiety over my job. Victory over fear. Victory over fear. There's a lot of that. I found joy in the midst of my worst sadness. God healed my baby boy. Released my bitterness. I love this one. He helped me with the internet. (laughs) What does that mean? God has delivered me from a life of drug abuse and alcoholism. God loves us even when we forget He is in control. 
Mm. Victory through trials, redemption and hope. Right here it says panic attacks. Infertility, adoption and the death of a spouse. My whole family got over COVID, found a job, didn't catch COVID. I can't say that. Peace from the death of a loved one. New beginnings after someone wronged me. Peace through a miscarriage. Healed and forgiven. Man. Fear, depression, naysayers, mental battles. We trust Him. I got baptized. Fear of the unknown. Restored broken relationships. A lot of fear, huh? Hurt and the anger that it brought. Victory over death. Um, I, like, I like this idea. Letting go of control. Marriage restored. You know what every one of those is? A real story. That's not made up stuff. And those are real stories attributed to the power of the Spirit at work in people's lives. That's victory today. That's not victory at the cross, and that's not victory in the future. That's victory right now. And, and God does that in your life. And that's the work of the power of the Spirit. God wants to forgive your sin, but He also intends to set you free from the power of sin. And the third thing is the victory is completed in the resurrection. You know, the empty tomb's the key to it all. I know a lot of people that just want to make Jesus a good teacher, and I get that. If you just took out His ethics and His morals, I mean, you would have a great basis of life. But without the empty tomb, let me just say, we're not here today. I'm not here today. If I didn't believe the tomb was empty, I'm, I'm not messing with this. Jesus was a good moral teacher. There's a lot of good moral teachers. And, but for me, it would just be some, some person in some backwater place who taught people how to, how to do better, live better. There are a lot of people who want to remove the supernatural from faith and still call it faith. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was one of those. Thomas Jefferson was a naturalist, but he loved Jesus and he loved the morals and ethics of Jesus. And so what he wanted was to excise all of the supernatural out of the stories of Jesus to sort of um, dig out the superfluous devices that marred the beauty of this moral teacher. And so Jefferson got out a razor and some tape and he started cutting away at the four gospels so that he could cut out all of the parts of the story that he didn't think fit his naturalistic perspective because he couldn't he couldn't receive that supernatural element of it. And when he was done, the book was was entitled The Life and Morals of Jesus. A lot of people today call it the Jefferson Bible. It really wasn't intended to be the Jefferson Bible, but that's how it kind of worked out. But by rejecting the resurrection, here's how Jefferson's Bible ended. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed." End of story. But that's not how the story ends. Let me read you the part that Jefferson cut out. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. 
They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I love that question. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Well, because this is a grave and this is where dead people should be. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Those may be the greatest words ever spoken. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Jesus' story didn't end with a stone. The tomb was empty, and the story continues to this day. It's a story that's lived out in the life of every believer right down to now. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was our victory at the cross. He is our victory, and He will be our victory. And that's what this thing is all about. The ultimate victory is yet to come. You see, his resurrection was the first of many. He was, you know, the Bible called him the firstborn. Did you know that? The firstborn of many brethren. It didn't call him the only born. It did call him the only born in a different place. Did you know that? The, the word for only born is monogenes. That's the word that described Jesus in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His only begotten son. That word means only born. Unique in kind. Monogenes. Never existed before. The only time, the one and only time when God himself would take on the form of man and he was fully God and fully man. That's monogenes. That's at the incarnation. At the incarnation, he was the only born. But at the resurrection, he was the firstborn. And that makes it altogether different. I can never be an only born. There's only one of those. It's a one-off. But a firstborn implies what? A secondborn, and a thirdborn, and a fourthborn, and a ten thousandth born, and a millionth born, and a twenty millionth born, so that the same thing that happened to Jesus happens to his followers. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. You hear that? Now listen to this. Who are enrolled in heaven. I love that expression. You're already enrolled in heaven. You can expect to be expected you college students know what it is to be enrolled in college. That means somebody wrote your name on a roll, and when you show up for class, they're expecting you to come. You can expect to be expected. And the same is true for us because of the victory at the cross, the victory we experience in this life. The victory will one day mean that when I stand before God, I expect my name to be on the roll. I'm already enrolled. And so the victory is yet to be. Now, let me, let me get you to think about that for a second. You can know that your sins are forgiven, so I don't have to struggle with guilt and shame. I can be free of that. That happened at the cross. I can know that I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to transform my life, and nothing happens in my life that God doesn't want to use for His glory. All things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I know because I'm filled with the power of God, my salvation is sealed, and I have the power to do what I can't do on my own. And one day when I die, <laughs> one day when I die, when I get there, 
Somebody's going to say, come on in, we're expecting you. We've already got your name written down. There's your house, there's your seat, take a seat. Now let me tell you, let me ask you something. If all of that's true, then what can possibly stop us? Maybe that's what Paul understood when he, read, when he wrote that beautiful line. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. That victory was won through Easter. And it all starts at the cross. So that's where you need to start. Have you ever been to the cross? Have you ever come to the cross just humbly on your own and said, God, I don't really understand it. I don't get it. But all that I understand about me, I give all that I understand about you. And when, when you place your faith in Christ and say, I admit my sins, I'm not going to try to hide them. I'm not going to pretend it's someone else's fault. I'm going to say, God, this is me. I own it. I take, I take responsibility for it. Heal me of it. When that occurs, something supernatural happens and the old becomes new. Have you ever been to the cross to place your faith in Christ? Believer, many of you have been to the cross, but you forgot that you're filled with the Spirit. And rather than allowing the Spirit to now give you victory over yourself, you're not being changed. And it's time for you to say, God, I need to be changed. Start changing my life. Because I know that someday I'm going to be that next born. It's going to be my turn to spend eternity with you. Whether you come for me or I go to you, doesn't matter, one way or the other. You ready for that? Would you pray with me? If you've never been to the cross right now, God, I just give you my sins, my life, everything I know. I just give it to you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But God, I'm trusting by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. I don't, I'm not expected to know it. But God, by faith, I trust you right now. Father, we thank you for salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, alone. And we receive it. We'll never achieve it. We'll receive it. Father, we thank you that you seal that with your spirit and that you empower us with your spirit to be transformed into the glory of Christ. And so make us different, make us changed. Maybe not all at once, but maybe some days it's three steps forward, some days it's two steps back. But God, through the process, we realize we're not what we were and we're not what we will be. And Father, that we would live with that eternal perspective of knowing that someday we're going to be the next born. It'll be our turn to step into glory. And we want to know that when we come to that place, that, that we can expect to be expected. And so I pray, Father, and I give that to you right now in this moment. For those that need Jesus, they would discover Jesus. For those that need to release control of the power of the Spirit in their life, they would do that. And for those that need to know the hope of glory, that we would live with that perspective so that Jesus would be victorious. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.